It's the 9th of July, 2016, and this is episode 300 of the Let's Talk Bitcoin show. So I'm looking at the havening.com and uh, we are currently recording this at uh, 10 o'clock in the morning on the 7th of July. We should be releasing this just about the time that the happening actually happens. So happy happening day, everybody. 10 o'clock in the morning Pacific time because the world revolves around San Francisco, right? Well, no, it just it just revolves around me, Stephanie. Let's be clear. About oh, that. that's right. I see how it goes. <laughs> well, yes, happy happening and happy 300th episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin. It's kind of funny that those coincided. And we just did an episode about the happening, but of course, um, you know, it's timely because this episode should go out just about at the time it happens. Of course, we don't know exactly when it's going to happen because it depends on the block number, not the specific time. But hey. If you want to know more about The Havening, check out episode 298 of Let's Talk Bitcoin, entitled The Havening and the Redecentralization of Mining. Just about three days ago, I think a new feature was introduced by Soft Fork. This new feature is called Check Sequence Verify. It was a bunch of different uh, Bitcoin improvement proposals, 68, 112, and 113. And so these three uh, features together implement the ability to do relative lock time. The actual opcode that was introduced is called op check sequence verify, or CSV for short, which complements an opcode that was introduced uh, maybe four or five months ago, which was check lock time verify, or CLTV. Check lock time verify allowed you to lock a transaction output, a spendable output, to a specific block or time in the future. And that was an absolute lock time. So you could say, this cannot be spent until block X or until time Y. And check sequence verify says, this cannot be spent before this many blocks have elapsed from the time it was mined. So it's a relative lock time um, that is on on the basis of when the uh, UTXO is mined. Uh, this has some very useful applications. Um, it's really not a feature that you would probably use on its own. It's not an application level feature. Just like check lock time verify, as, uh, although people called it op hodl, because you can lock your Bitcoin and hodl them. Speaking of things that weren't words until people made them yes, words. exactly. <laughs> I love that meme. Hodl is a meme that came from a thread on the original Bitcoin forum where somebody was drunk and was posting this rant about how they're hodling their Bitcoins, meant to say hold, but said hodl and it caught on and became a meme. <laughs> now it's everywhere in the Bitcoin space. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, just in case, too, in case just you're Bitcoin. listening and you don't know where it comes from, it's worth like reading the original thread because it's pretty funny. Yeah, it's hold with a typo and usually you, you, you spell it H-O-D-L exclamation one one exclamation. <laughs> yes. So um, yeah, I mean, as a, as a community, we have our own inside lingo and inside jokes and all of these little memes, which are great. The thing is, CLTV and CSV, they're, they're both, you know, you could look at them as application level features. I can lock up my Bitcoin for a specific period of time, but that's not really the interesting application. Uh, it's fairly limited. It's, it's, a, it's a bit of a drastic way to, to handle your, your Bitcoin. What you should really be thinking about is how this can be used as a component in constructing smart contracts. And the primary application for check sequence verify relativistic lock time 
is in the use of payment channels and Lightning Network smart contracts that are used to honor the redemption or the control over a payment channel to allow two parties to have a bi-directional payment channel without having to trust each other that can be resolved or broken by either party at any time. So their, their ability to independently break the channel without loss. And in order to do that, or at least in order to do that elegantly and efficiently, you need a relative lock time. So the first transaction you do in a payment channel that establishes the payment channel, and then you want to do subsequent transactions locked to a relative time from when that first transaction, the anchor transaction was created. So what this does is it enables a whole range of very interesting use cases that can be implemented with smart contracts by introducing a time variable into smart contracts that is extremely useful. And it's amazing what people can do with just the, I think, 17 or so really useful opcodes within the limited Bitcoin scripting language. So that's what was introduced. It was introduced by signaling through a voting mechanism by the miners. In addition to the fact that check sequence verify was introduced, What's really interesting about this is this is the first time the voting mechanism used version bits, which is uh, Bitcoin Improvement Proposal 9, which allows signaling for multiple soft forks simultaneously in parallel. So instead of uh, using the block version as an integer to vote on what features you want to introduce, it's being used as a binary bit field that allows you to turn a bit on for every feature that you want to vote on, and therefore you can have multiple bits turned on or off to vote on multiple proposals at the same time. So the velocity at which innovation can be introduced into Bitcoin massively increased. One more of these votes that went off without a hitch, very successful, and pulling off a successful soft fork, you know, it's it's worth noting that that doesn't happen in every chain. Uh, recently we saw a soft fork that introduced some problems in Ethereum, it's not easy to do. Um, and so it's a great success that this was done successfully. Okay, so there's a book called uh, Damon that came out a number of years ago that uh, beginning of the story is a very rich kind of Bill Gates type person um, creates essentially a virus or an AI that lives on the internet and that watches for news of, of, of his death essentially to show up in newspapers and triggers a long series of complex actions uh, a certain amount of time after it's seen that show up in the public register. It sounds like this is the same sort of thing, right? It's, it's obviously watching for blocks or rather for specific transactions or UTXOs to move. But at the point that it does, it can set into motion somewhat, you know, long chains of actions, basically. Yeah, although in, in most cases, it's used for the opposite reason, which is um, to prevent actions until a certain time has elapsed. And what that allows you to do, for example, is say, well, if nothing happens in the payment channel or both parties break off a payment channel, then after a certain time has elapsed, one of the parties can unilaterally trigger a refund of the amount that they're owed, which allows parties to unilaterally close the channel without having to have the consent or connection by both. So, which is really important because if you have a payment channel, you can't expect that the other person is going to stay online. And you can't give them power over your ability to get a refund by, you know, having to have them online or having to have their consent. So that unilateral termination of the channel is a really useful feature. But in general, in, in contracts, what, what it allows you to do is basically, um, as you said, timed actions, which usually these timed actions are the ability to get in a refund. 
You could also use this for consumer protection, which I think is really interesting. You could set up escrow systems that have triggered actions after a certain time. You could have a payment to a merchant made through a um, escrowed multi-sig, a two of three multi-sig, where you have an escrow agent that handles arbitration or dispute if the merchant doesn't deliver. You can trigger an arbitration on part of the consumer. Instead of expecting the consumer to have to act positively in order to release that escrow when things go, you can simply have, say, a 15-day timer. And so after 15 days after the payment is made, if there is no dispute, then it automatically pays the merchant, or the rather the merchant can automatically redeem that amount without any other signatures. So you can you can have these triggers where the conditions for payment change um, up to point X in time, it's a two of three multisig. After point X in time, the merchant signature alone, a one of one, can redeem it. So that way you you give 15 days for the consumer to file a, a dispute with their escrow agent if something is wrong. And if they don't, the merchant automatically gets paid 15 days later. So now you can simulate, uh, essentially you can soft program chargebacks or consumer protection into retail payments without giving up the, the hard guarantees of the trust platform of Bitcoin. It strikes me how much you can do with Bitcoin without it being Turing complete. I know we've said this before, but with all the talk recently about complexity and smart contracts and how to sort of work out the kinks, I really like something like what was just described with Bitcoin as a solution to perform you know, some functions and to get some basic additional features going, I guess, besides just using Bitcoin as a simple payment channel that's like, you know, irreversible and all the features we already know and love without having to have it be this really complex system. It's very simple, but at the same time, it has enough flexibility within it that a smart programmer can build these very interesting applications. And we're seeing that happen again and again, people inventing really interesting solutions just like juggling what? these 16. Well, another one we talked about recently, Stephanie, was uh, Merkleized abstract syntax trees, where you essentially have these complex set of conditions uh, that are expressed as branches in a Merkle tree, where none of them are visible until you choose to, to execute one of the conditions. So you mm-hmm. say, oh, I'm going to execute the third branch of the tree, which is if X, then Y, then pay. And here's a proof that that was one of the conditions that could be exercised by providing a Merkle path. You have no idea what the other conditions are. Only the person who, or the parties that created the Merkleized abstract syntax tree know. That's an, a great way to have enormous privacy. So essentially, you're not even, you know, with pay to script hash, you don't actually reveal the conditions until you redeem it, but you have to reveal all the conditions. With Merkleized abstract syntax trees, you only reveal the branch you're intending to use and the other branches are invisible. So you never know what other conditions might have been used to, to redeem that particular thing. It's fascinating as a technology in itself. It's even more fascinating that you can do all of that without changing the scripting language, just, yeah. just juggling the things that exist. Turing completeness has its use case, for sure. With Ethereum, it, it offers a, a whole other level of flexibility. But there's something to be said about how much you can do in an environment that also gives you very, very robust security because of its simplicity. 
Thanks for listening to this, probably the shortest episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin. Content for today's show was provided by Andreas, Stephanie, and Adam. This episode was edited by Adam B. Levine and featured music by Jared Rubens. Send questions or comments to adam at letstalkbitcoin.com, and we'll see you next week for episode 301. Have a good one.